felt, oh, oh my God, I got to get out of here. I felt this panic sweep over me. I felt hot. I felt like I was burning and I felt panicky and I thought I have to get out of here now. And I ran to the door, to the open doorway. And as soon as I hit that open doorway, uh, I was hit. I think I call it the chest, like right between your chest and your stomach, you know, mm -hmm. right there by like a ball of light. Um, the light, the light, I didn't see where it came from. It just was there. It would just hit me out of the blue. And I know my eyes were closed, but I could still see it. It was so intense. And I felt my body start to vibrate I went beyond shaking to vibrating to the point where it was like, I could, it almost felt like I was feeling each individual molecule of my body vibrate independently. Like I was coming apart mm -hmm. molecular, you know, it was just bizarre. And I, it was like time stopped for me. Well, since 1983, Deborah Carble's life went from normal to experiencing incredible paranormal encounters. She's been searching for answers and the truth since then. She joins us to talk about her experiences. And if you are an experiencer yourself and looking for answers, you need to watch this interview. Hi, Deborah. Hi. Welcome to the program. Uh, actually, I've been meaning to speak with you for some time, but um, you know, it's been uh, it's been a long time since that initial experience of yours, 1983, what, what uh, 39, 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. So, Bud Hopkins is a name that's synonymous now with the UFO community. Um, he's probably up there on the legend status. What made him take an interest in your story? Uh, I asked him that one time, and he he said, uh, "Well, kid, that's the sixty-four thousand dollar question." Um, I had, uh, you know, had that experience on June 30th, 83, and I written to him, I had gotten his address from the back of his book, Missing Time, which I could never finish. Uh, every time I try to read it, I have panic attacks, mm -hmm. but, um, and, and, uh, eventually he answered my letter and then, um, I sold my washer and dryer that I had in storage to get enough money for a bus ticket to go from Indiana to New York to see him which in retrospect that in and of itself is bizarre to me because that's not something I would have ever done I wouldn't right. have even I would have never even written to an, a, a person even if I liked their book um, I just wasn't prone to do something like that so to go there and meet him that was bizarre but um, he I found myself sitting in his studio surrounded by boxes of other letters that were mm -hmm. just like mine that he had gotten. Right. And I and I said to him, why was it my letter, the one you answered? And, you know, now we're here and and you're in, investigating it. And this was at a point when we were he was actually talking about maybe writing a, a book about it because he thought it was so important. And I'm like, why? And he said, well, that's a $64,000 question, kid. And I go, you think maybe it was destiny or something? He goes, I don't know. He wasn't one to believe in that sort of thing. So, yeah. But I think the fact that um, we had physical evidence along with my memories that there was more than one person involved, that eventually there even was uh, outside witnesses to the events of that night, some parts of it. Um, just 
pulled it all together for him in, in a, such a way that he felt it was important for, you know, the world to hear about this case. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it inspired uh, a miniseries um, through uh, CBS, I think in 1991 or 1992, which I watched recently. And according to that miniseries, your particular case um, was the catalyst for him to walk away from mainstream um, psychology to pursue talking to experiences. Was that accurate? Well, De Bud wasn't a psychologist. Bud was an artist. Mm -hmm. uh, he was a very uh, exceptional artist. I mean, he had works in the Guggenheim, but um, he had an experience, I think, in the 60s out on the Cape while driving with some friends. They saw something and it just triggered something in him. I asked him a bunch of times over the years, do you think you were abducted, you know, or something more than just seeing this in the sky happen. He's like, no, 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 absolutely not. <laughs> I'm like, well, it's awful weird that you're so interested in it as you are. Um, but he he always swore no. But um, but he was he was an artist, but he was brilliant. But what what he did though is he enlisted the professionals. Like the first time, the first trip I made to New York right out of the bus station, he took me to a psychiatrist's office in mm -hmm. New York, Dr. Kamar, who I met and she interviewed me. And we actually did a little bit of hypnosis just to show me what it was like. Nothing came of it, but just showed me how to relax a little. Um, and he also enlisted the help of, he got, I don't know how he got either donations of money or donations of facility and time where that I could go to the hospital, one of the hospitals there in New York. And I had an EEG, uh, of my brain waves. I had a CAT scan. I had like six hours of verbal and psychological testing. And then at some point later on, he enlisted the aid of some, like a retired police officer or somebody that gave me a voice stress test. Um, so he would, he reached out to the, to the professionals to, for help for him mm -hmm. and it did it for me, you know, so he, and he also set up uh, like a buddy system and a support group system which, you know, 35, 35 years ago was hard to do without the internet, or, you know, or even cell phones. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I did a lot of letter writing. I made lots of short phone calls with people. He, he did everything he could humanly possibly do to help me, you know, with that. And it, it did interfere with his art after a while, because after Intruders came out, he was in such demand by so many people all over the world that it kind of, you know, took him away from some of that a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I always kind of felt guilty about it because that was his first love art, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, can you take us back to the beginning? When did the paranormal stuff begin in your life? Was it 1983? It was 1983. That was the event, the main event that triggered everything. And that's what intruders is centered around. But I had strange things happen to me as a young married woman before 90, before 83. I had something happen to me when I was a teenager, uh, before I got married, um, that even some strange thing happened to me when I was five or six years old and I ended up missing for an entire day, had half the little town I was in looking for me and my older sister found me. And my older sister had, mm -hmm. she's 11 years older than me. She also had some bizarre experiences one in particular uh her made i think her major one in 1965 
when she was taking my mom to the bingo game. So we've had strange things happen to us our whole life. Yeah. It, to me, I thought it was normal. I, I grew up with, in even the little poltergeist stuff, people would, what people would say ghostly or, you know, uh, stuff like that. I mean, I just thought everybody, I just thought everybody, that was just life to me. I right, didn't know it was, right. <laughs> I didn't know anything. Yeah. yeah. Well, can you talk about the lead up and what happened during that period in 1983? What, what, what was it all about? Well, I was living with my mom and dad. At the time, I just moved back home because I'd gotten divorced and I had two little bitty kids and trying to get my life sorted out. And uh, one evening I was about to go to the house. A friend of mine lived behind us and I was about to go to her house and cut some patterns out. So I happened to notice a strange light. As I stood at the kitchen window and looked out, I noticed this odd light coming out of my mom and dad's swimming pool pump house. Mm -hmm. And that, that pump house was small. It was like a mini barn size. It wasn't, you know, very big. But uh, I knew that light should be there. And I mentioned it to my mom before I left, but she didn't seem very concerned about it. So I'm like, okay, my dad was working second shift at a local uh, automotive factory. So he wasn't not home at the time. So I was about to leave my two little boys with my mom. And I was a little concerned about that, but she wasn't worried. So I went ahead and left. And as I left, I decided to pull alongside of the house down the second side driveway and do a turn, quick turnaround, just to look and make sure there wasn't any prowlers out there. And I'm like thinking, I'm not thinking UFOs or aliens by any means. I'm thinking burglars or, mm -hmm. you know, prowlers. Dad had a nice workshop behind the swimming pool full of Indian motorcycles and radio control airplanes and things that he was working on, you know. Uh, so that would have been a big attraction for somebody who liked to steal things <laughs> anyway yeah, for sure so as i drove back through on my way down the side drive i did notice that the pedestrian door was open to the the garage that was attached to the side of the house but instead of stopping i just went on over to deanna's because it took like a minute and a half and i called mom and i told her that oh you know i seen the door open on the garage and uh I asked her if she wanted me to come home and she's like, no, don't worry about it. And uh, I said, okay, well, I'm just letting you know, you know, and then I hung up the phone and she called me back right away. And she said, I need you to come home right now. And of course I, you know, I felt kind of panicky because I thought what well, my mom never acted like that. She was never scared like that. Um, it just weirded me out. And I think my girlfriend and her husband could hear the panicky kind of feeling in my voice because he yells over my shoulder um tell her to call the police that's what they get paid for uh because i had told him when i got there i need to call mom and let her know i saw the garage door open you know so um anyway he uh or she says no i, I don't want anybody here but you she could hear him and she said no i don't want anyone here but you and i'm like okay so i left the house and went back to mom and dad's and pulled up to the side drive where I had gone down before to check and got out. Mom was in the Florida room right next to the side drive. So I went in that way and I immediately went to the trash compactor because there was a shotgun next to it. And mom says, you know, that's not loaded, right? And I said, yes, I know. Um, but whoever is out there doesn't know it's loaded. And I'm thinking in my head, I can get close enough to them to hit them with it before they figure that out. So, you know. And, the, and I always tell everybody, the fact that I went out there like that 
being so brave was even out of character for me at that time in my life. I was 22, 23 year old, you mm -hmm. know, young. I wasn't brave like that. I would do that now. I wouldn't think twice about it. But back then, that was just really strange that I did that. But I did. I went out, checked the pump house, didn't see anything. Uh, went back behind the swimming pool near the and checked the uh, workshop. And dad had an old ladder truck out there because he was an electrical contractor on the side too. He's an electrician. And um, my dog was under the house, under the, under the car, under the truck, but she wouldn't come out. So I left her, went back across the yard and headed into the garage. I walked through that door and flipped the light on and I didn't see anybody. Right. And I, there was a, there was a set of uh, mattresses leaned up against the wall and the only place somebody could have hidden anywhere was in there. So I was starting to creep around to the back of those mattresses. And in my mind, I kind of looked like Elmer Fudd, you know, stalking the rabbit. Yeah. And uh, as I'm doing that, I suddenly felt weird. I felt, oh, oh my God, I got to get out of here. I felt this panic sweep over me. I felt hot. I felt like I was burning and I felt panicky. And I thought I have to get out of here now. And I ran to the door to the open doorway. And as soon as I hit that open doorway, uh, I was hit. I think I call it the chest, like right between your chest and your stomach, you know, mm -hmm. right there by like a ball of light. Um, the light, the light, I didn't see where it came from. It just was there. It just hit me out of the blue. And I know my eyes were closed, but I could still see it. It was so intense. And I felt my body start to vibrate I went beyond shaking to vibrating to the point where it was like, I could, it almost felt like I was feeling each individual molecule of my body vibrate independently. Like I was coming apart mm -hmm. molecular, you know, it was just bizarre. And I, it was like time stopped for me. I don't know what it feels like for time to stop, but it just felt like, um, I don't know how long that I, I have no, uh, I can't comprehend how long that I was in that state. I don't know. The next thing I remember, I'm out through the doorway. I'm on the cement patio that's in front of the garage there. And there is, um, I feel a tugging on my right shoulder behind me down. And I feel this burning sensation in my right ear. And I hear somebody, but I don't, I don't see anybody talking to me, but I hear a voice say it was unfortunate that I had felt pain. And then at that point, I can't remember whether I noticed the ball of light out in front of me first, or if I noticed all the little kids in the yard, but uh, there was a ball of light about 25 feet in front of me out in the yard. And it was about the size of a basketball, but it was much softer than the, the intense white light that had hit me. My vision was really funky. At that point, it was like I'd been uh, gotten my picture taken with one of those old time flash cubes. And mm -hmm. I had just like white splotches all over my vision. I couldn't see a lot of detail, but I saw this light and it went down really slow. And then it came back up real slow. And I've got the distinct impression for some reason that it was looking at me, but I don't know why. And then I, and then at some point I realized there's like six little kids in my mom's backyard and they're coming wow. from everywhere from all different points in the yard and they're lining up up here to my up to my right up near the driveway where the uh, eventually when we saw the streak the arc at the end where it started 
And I remember thinking to myself, why are these little kids in my mom's backyard? And then I thought, oh my God, my kids, you know? And, mm -hmm. and again, I heard the voice say, your kids are fine. And then I, you know, calmed down. And as these little guys lined up in front of me, kind of, they kind of just glided down across the yard in front of me, not to me, but in my general direction. And that's when, and I, and I can't move, but I can move my eyes. And that's when I see that thing in the yard, which we call a craft because I, I don't really know what else to call it, but it wasn't very big. And even six little kids getting in it would have been really crowded because mm -hmm. it wasn't much bigger than the pump house of the swimming pool. And that was like a mini barn size or something. It was uh, shaped like an egg and it uh, was maybe 10 feet tall. I'm, I'm not great right. with that sort of thing. It was definitely bigger in the middle than it was at the bottom, more like an egg. And there were appendages coming off the middle part of it, but they were real narrow and skinny. And, uh, you know, when you first looked at them, I would think they were legs, but I don't think they could hold weight. I don't know what those were. Um, and at one point, I even doubted that it was completely all the way on the ground because it seemed like it bobbled mm -hmm. a little, but I, that could have been my eyes. I'm not sure because my eyes were all messed up. Uh, and uh, then the next thing I remembered was hearing my name. I heard my name being called. And as soon as I did, you know, it was like someone snapped their fingers and everything I just re just went through was completely wiped out of my mind. And I remember being able to move. I turned around and I started to walk up to um, walk up to the steps that led up to the top porch where the kitchen was. And my mom had her head like out the door. She's like, is everything OK? And I said, yeah, everything's cool. But I didn't want to go back and cut patterns anymore. Mm -hmm. So I, I contacted my friend and I asked him, you want to come over and swim? You know, it's almost July. Yeah. It was a warm and nice, you know, pool and all. And she's like, yeah, no mention of how long I'd been gone. Uh, so her and her daughter, I can't remember whether I went back and then we came back together or they just came over, but we ended up back at mom's walking across the backyard to go to the pool and uh, her daughter steps on something out in the yard, which we looked at her foot and her mom thought maybe it was a bee or something, but we saw nothing on her foot where she said she uh, felt the tingling and burning. And then she started complaining that her foot was going numb all the way up her uh, mm -hmm. upper leg, you know. And uh, we went ahead and got in the swimming pool because her mom figured if it was a bee sting, the cool chlorinated water would definitely make it feel better. Um, so we are in the pool for a few minutes and we all start feeling really nauseous. And uh, for some reason or another, my friend's like, hey, let's go to White Castle. Maybe we'll feel better if we get something to eat. It's always, yeah. we, we were like food. We were always about food. And you know, White Castle was a 24 hour little burger joint here. But um, I, I don't think we went. I think that got aborted. I'll, because my eyes were starting to hurt really bad. They were burning and I was seeing halos around all the lights and they didn't feel good and I didn't feel good. And we decided to just throw in the towel. And so they went home and I went to bed. The next morning when I woke up, I, my eyes were swollen completely shut. 
and they hurt so bad. And I was in so much pain that my mom took me to the emergency room. And uh, from the emergency room, I was directed to an eye doctor. I want ophthalmologist is what he's called, I think, the actual yeah. doctor, you know. Yeah. Not, um, his office was across the street. And he examined me and he, um, one of the first things he asked me was, have you looked into the arc of a welder's torch? And I was like, no. And at that point I had still had no conscious memory of exactly what had happened to me the night before. I felt weird. I didn't, I felt sick. I felt anxious, but I didn't remember being hit by that light or my eyes being messed up. So it was, he get, I got prescriptions. And it took several weeks for my eyes to heal mm-hmm. uh, and um, to really get back to normal. And my vision changed after that. I became extremely farsighted. Uh, never wore glasses before that. But um, had you figured out? Had you figured out that there was missing time by that stage? By that stage, no. But what happened was the following that a few days later, it was the Fourth of July weekend, and the whole family always came to mom and dad's house to celebrate because we had the swimming pool there, you know, and some bigger properties. We could light off all our Kmart fireworks, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the kids had all ran through the house with their towels and their bathing suits out the back door to the pool. And we were, the adults, we were in there in the kitchen, getting the stuff ready for the grill. And my oldest nephew runs back in the house and he said, grandma, what's wrong with your yard? And we ran outside. All of us went outside because we we're like, well, what are you talking about? And when we got out there, there was that mark, that mm-hmm. mark in the yard that lasted for two years and snow melted off of it that following winter. But uh, there it was. And my mom kind of laughed and said, oh, that's where our UFO landed the other night. Which, and I looked at her and I thought, why, why did you say that? What? And, and, and as soon as that thought came in my head and I looked back at that mark, bam. It was like you could hit me with a feather and knock me right. over because I, I started to remember that night, the bits and pieces that I told you earlier, the light, the kids, that egg-shaped thing. When I looked at that mark in the yard and all I could see were two big black eyes. And it was like- Did that, did that frighten you when that, those memories started to come back? Yes, it did frighten me. Um, I thought I'd lost my mind. I thought I was having a nervous breakdown. I couldn't sleep at night. Even before that, we noticed the mark in the yard, like a couple of days after, I noticed that I had this uh, bizarre anxiety about going into the bathroom uh, upstairs because that bathroom window, I felt like something was going to pull me out that window and take me. And I didn't even know what, mm-hmm. what it could possibly be that, why would I even think that? And uh, that window overlooked the mark in the yard. And later I realized that has to be why I I would sit up in between my two boys. They were in a twin, they were in twin beds in one bedroom and I was in another, I would sit between their beds on the floor at night, all night long. Like I was waiting for something and I couldn't sleep because I had to protect my babies. And then when the sun would come up, then I would, I could sleep and my mom, you know, and dad were up. And thank God for them, because I, I probably wouldn't have gotten through that first year without them. And, and for a long time, I didn't connect. Well, I didn't connect um, what happened that night with anything else. But as I started to remember more, 
like the event um, when I was a newly married back in 78, uh, which was even before 83. And the two gray guys came in my bedroom with this black box. Now, I always insisted that was not a dream. Mm -hmm. I tried to wake my husband up. He was laying in bed right next to me. And I thought, why is this guy not waking up? And I, when I first saw these guys in my bedroom, I freaked out. And I remember thinking, don't touch me. Please don't move towards me. Don't kill me. You know, I mean, just sheer panic. Mm -hmm. and, and then all of a sudden something took that away. And I was able to sit up in my bed and they had this box that floated over to me. And I asked them, what is this? Can I have it? And they said, no, you can't have it. But when you see it again, you'll know what it is and how to use it. Then they took it and they left. And I tried to wake my husband up. He wouldn't wake up. I suddenly felt very calm and I just went to sleep. But the next morning, the minute I woke up, I started telling him about it all. I was still animated about it. And he just thought I was crazy. And uh, I called my mom and I told her. Well, my mom was more supportive, but she still, I think, thought it was a dream. And I kept saying, it's not a dream. I was wide awake mm -hmm. and I saw them, you know, okay. So, yeah. you know, I just put it away and... So all, all those kind of memories started coming back. It was like the June 30, 83 was somebody pulling the finger out of the dam, the dike right. and the dam is flooded. You know? Yeah. Can you, um, can you remember like all the details of what actually happened to you when you were taken aboard the craft and, and, and what they did with you? I still don't remember um, a lot of details. Uh, I, re I, I do remember bits and pieces of, of some time being somewhere, but I don't remember how I got there or how I got home. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm not sure where I was. I can't say I was on a craft. I'm not sure where I was because I don't recall getting there. But I do recall in several instances being somewhere that was like, um, uh, for the closest thing I can use to describe would be like an operating theater. Right. Um, there was one time when it was, I was in a bigger room. It was, uh, the light was always dimmer. It wasn't extremely bright anywhere, except for the one time when I was a little kid and I was in the little boy's playroom, everything was white light there. I don't even, I couldn't even see an end to the room and it didn't fit the house I was in. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But, uh, uh, I remember, uh, black walls that were like granite real shiny and smooth and cold when i touched it and it had carvings in it and the carvings were filled with white so that you okay. could see them but when i touched them i could feel that they were carved into this black wall different symbols which i drew um i i remember an archway a giant archway in this one area, which had a table in the middle of it and, a, and an elevated platform, but I, I don't remember much else. Yeah. So what, what was their purpose for abducting you? I, nobody ever told me, so I don't know. I can guess based on bits and pieces of what I remember. Uh, when I was a teenager prior to uh, my missing pregnancy, 
in the fall, I was out driving around. Well, I was riding. My friend was driving around and another friend was in the back seat and we had a sighting of a, I first saw the light in the sky. And then my friend remembers the light being on the ground. And I remember our car being enveloped in this black smoke, like black blackness and feeling as if I were being pulled out of the car. And I remember um, a medical exam that was extremely painful that included a gynecological, you know, exam. Mm -hmm. And um, then I found out I was pregnant. Um, first part, I think the first pregnancy test I had was in February. I have the medical records from it all. I can't remember mm -hmm. exact dates because it's been like 45 years ago. Yeah. I can't even remember what I had for dinner last week. So, I mean, some of this stuff is like imprinted in my mind, but um and then, uh, you know, I kind of found I was pregnant. I was already engaged and we had a wedding date set for June, but we moved it up to April because this was the seventies and it was different. Mm -hmm. And I, my parents didn't want me to, you know, be a, this big and be mm -hmm. <laughs> getting married. Yep. So, yep. um, and then, uh, I had a night, uh, and I had gone to the doctor and had a physical exam and I had a pregnancy test that was positive. And the doctor, uh, I thought I got pregnant on Christmas Eve and he thought I was pregnant a little bit farther along than that. But, um, in retrospect, then I look back to the event that happened in the fall and it made me wonder what actually went on then. Cause I've always said, and I will always say, I got pregnant with my husband's with my then fiance's child and always mm -hmm. said that you know that's normal that's the normal thing to think and behave and then uh had a night where i babysat for my sister and uh, i as i was laying on the couch watching tv i had my back to the tv at that point but i felt something uh, stroking my my spine along the my back and it startled me at first but i instantly felt calm and i immediately had it in my head oh it's just my little niece and uh, I, I fell asleep. And when I woke up, I was in my little niece's bed and it was morning. And uh, I immediately felt panicky. I felt there was something wrong with my baby. And I went to the restroom to check for you know, problems and everything looked normal. And, but I couldn't shake it for days and days. And I just couldn't shake the feeling that something wasn't right. And uh, so I went with my girlfriend to Planned Parenthood and I got a pregnancy test there because they were free and um, it was negative. So I went back and told my wow. mom there there's, I said, there's something wrong with my baby. You need to take me to the uh, doctor. I, I'm spotting, you know, there's something's not right. So she called and got an appointment because I was still living with my parents at this point. I mm -hmm. had just turned, I just turned 18 in February. So um, mom took me to the doctor. He gave me another physical exam, another pregnancy test, and then had me get my clothes on and took mom and me into his office. And he said, you are not pregnant. And my mom, first thing my mom said, oh my God, what happened? Does she need a DNC? And he said, no, she's fine. And he said, we see this sometimes, this happens. You're young, you'll have other children. And my advice to you is to forget this ever happened because you're fine and but you're healthy. Was there evidence of, um, you know, I mean, there was no child there, of course, but the things like the placenta and 
No, I'm assuming when my mom asked him if I needed a DNC and he said no, that that meant that there wasn't anything to DNC. So, wow. Yeah. And he told me to forget it ever happened. And one thing that always stuck in my mind was he said, we see this. Like he acted like it wasn't that big of a deal at my age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he said, we see this sometimes, you know, you're young, you'll have other kids, just forget this ever happened. And I remembered as we left, I thought, and I said to him, I'm not ever going to forget this. And I didn't. And we, and we walked out of there and it was never spoken about again. We never talked about it again. Mom and I, anyone in the family never spoke of it again. Charles and I went ahead and got married in April. I went on to have two children, uh, in three years, but, um, uh, yeah, we never spoke about it again. And I just put it aside. And I cannot tell you why after the June 30th, 83 incident, and I saw the mark in the yard, one of the many things that I remembered was that pregnancy. Mm. And I didn't know why. The, the initial test that um, showed that you were pregnant, was that done by, by a specialist? Was that done by a doctor? It was, well, the first one was done by me in one of those weird home pregnancy tests. Mm-hmm. We had the little, you have to pee in a tube and then there's yep. a mirror under it and it has a little circle, you know, and then the doctor did a pregnancy test in the office and he did a physical exam as well. So, and that shows you were pregnant. And it, yes, it showed I was pregnant. Wow. And, so, uh-huh. so, I mean, I've spoken, I've spoken with the experience, experiences before that have been through the same thing. Um, then they've, ET uh, has taken them back at I think four or five months. They remove they remove the child and 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 then several years later, they get to meet their child. I mean, is this that that didn't happen with you though? Well, I had what I called a dream, where I was with these gray guys again, and they showed me this girl. They walked her in the scene in the very, the very end of the intruders miniseries is pretty much the only scene, the only actual thing that uh, came out of the book intruders, you know, the way it was and bless Mayor Winningham's heart. She mm-hmm. actually called me on the phone a couple times because she wanted to make sure that she played that scene as, as accurately as she could, because it's such sensitive material, Yeah, you know, well, let's, let's- yeah, look, well, let's just for the audience sake, let's run through what, what happened from start to finish during that, uh, that moment. Well, uh, all I can tell you what I remember is that I looked up, I was, I was on a table and that gray guy was there and I looked up and there were two other grays standing sort of as they were coming into this bigger room and in between them was this little girl, smaller than them. Mm-hmm. but she looked mostly human. I mean, she didn't look like them. If you, and I always told Bud, if you put a, you know, a dress and a pair of uh, Mary Janes on her, you'd probably just say, oh, look at that frail little girl. She looks kind of sickly, but you wouldn't think she was not a human, you know? And as they tried to come towards me, I remember all of a sudden thinking, oh my God, that's mine. Mm-hmm. And my first instinct was to reach out and grab her and hug her, you know, a mom, mother instinct. And as soon as I thought that in my head, it was like she could hear what I thought. 
because she jumped and then she tried to hide behind them like she was terrified of me mm -hmm. and it and in that moment it almost broke my heart because i thought oh my god you know she's afraid of me she she why is she afraid of me you know and then i realized look well, if this is all i've ever been used to seeing and then i see this mm -hmm. it might be kind of scary right. if you're a little kid you know but uh, it did it didn't make me feel any better it made me i felt bad and and i kept looking at her and i thinking there's a part of me in that maybe someday she'll come looking for me like like all kids do you know people that are adopted uh, they have that drive to find their birth parents you know yeah yeah but, i mean i didn't think about that at that moment i did later uh and that moment i was angry and i'm like that's my you know that's mine can she come with me and he's trying to talk to me in whatever way they talk and he says he doesn't understand why i'm upset that i should be happy because this was a good thing this was a good thing for everyone and that i should be proud or happy or whatever he was trying to convey this mm -hmm. emotions to me and i just wanted my kid you know if this was my kid i wanted my kid and he's in a he one point he said i had to leave because if i stayed any longer i would get sick wherever it was i was i couldn't stay long and uh I wanted her to come with me and he said she couldn't come with me because I couldn't feed her and she would die. Mm -hmm. And then I was that was the end. That was it. And what 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 year was was that was that three or four years after the uh... Yeah, th this was um uh oh, I'm trying to think. I think this was in like maybe April or May of 94 and I had an experience where I had uh, woke up out in mom's backyard. I, wo hmm. I, I woke up laying out in the backyard and I remember seeing this horseshoe like shaped craft above me and it, and it took off. And uh, I remember getting up and trying to go back in the house and the house was locked. And I banged on the door and yelled and my mom came down and opened the door and let me in. Um, and I think that when Bud asked her about that later, she didn't have any conscious recollection of unlocking the door and letting me in. So mm -hmm. never could really quite put that together. But so I think this was uh, in sometime in uh, mid 84. Right. And uh, that whole, I'm trying to think. So it had it, been several years. Yeah, yeah. Have you? heard from the same aliens again and and had any progress on on your child in, in, in a report on it no um i haven't had a spectacular physical contact you know like the whole 80s thing mm -hmm. there was uh one time back in 92 it was either right before or right after i had a complete hysterectomy we lived out on the farm and it was me my late husband our house guest and her daughter witnessed uh something walking down the road towards us because we had heard a beeping sound outside and saw flashing lights so we ran outside to investigate and i was i had my nightgown on and i was i wasn't physically well so but i don't know if i was about just ready to go get my surgery or or i just had it mm -hmm. but um uh this uh, I, and we had a video recording of it even though this you couldn't see anything because it was dark out. My late husband had recorded it 
you could hear the beeping sound and you could hear the cows in the barn moaning. And uh, then you can hear my, my house guest daughter say, mama, what's that walking down the road toward us? And then you can hear my house guest scream and then the tape cuts off and it doesn't come back on. The, the tape counter jumped 18 minutes. Wow. And uh, that tape, I think is gone. Um, because we were hit by a tornado in 2013 and I lost a lot of almost everything I owned. So uh, some of that stuff that I had so, was destroyed. So there's a possibility there that uh, that you were taken for, for 18 or so minutes. All of us were down there. So it could have not just been me, but everybody. But we, you know, I, I don't have any other memories other than mm -hmm. what I, you know, I consciously remember. And that was pretty much the last time that anything like that's ever happened. Yeah. Um, I did have a dream and then one, I don't, when we lived in the apartment complex, I was sitting at the kitchen table. I was having a cup of coffee and smoking a cigarette and I was looking out on my patio and I had one of those uh, privacy fences that you could mm -hmm. see the, in between the slats. Yep. And I looked up and th this wasn't a dream. This was, this really happened. I looked up and there was a, a person, I could see the eye and I could see them that they were like a, maybe a 10 year old kid. And I could see him looking at me through the slats. And at first I thought, oh, go away, brat, get out of my yard or, you know, something mm -hmm. like that. And then I, I looked at it again and I thought, wait a minute. It's why, first of all, this child has white hair. This child has all black on, even down to the shoes, long pants, everything. And it's summertime. Who, who the hell dresses their kid in mm -hmm. black in the summer, all the way, even the shoes were black. And I, and I thought, wait a minute and I stood up and I and I oh when I stood up she took off running and I ran out the patio door I went through the uh gate to the you know through the fence and I looked both ways down the alleyway or whatever between the buildings and there was no one there I ran down to the end and I looked I ran to the other end and looked I never saw this kid and I never saw this kid again and in the back of my mind after it all happened I thought was that her that's your daughter. Was that her? You know, mm -hmm. I mean, it all started clicking to me, but by then she was long gone. So, yeah. Um, do you feel any animosity towards these ETs? Um, I used to more now than uh, used to back when I was younger than I do now. Uh, mainly over, you know, my being pregnant and then not being pregnant mm -hmm. having to deal with all that and you know and then I didn't really want Bud to put it in the book I didn't even understand why I said anything to him but then after I found out he was getting thousands of letters from women all over the world that had the same thing I kind of understood you know the bigger picture but uh and and I don't feel like whatever contact that I had with whatever it was I had contact with was malevolent Mm -hmm. I can, I can only speak for my own experiences. Everybody's got different experiences. And I think there's a multitude of different um, entities or beings, uh, or, you know, life forms out there mm -hmm. with all different kinds of agendas. In my particular case, I feel like the damage to my eyes and to my dog uh, were uh, just a, a unfortunate uh, side effect of whatever I had contact with. It wasn't intentional. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, I feel like that if if there if that child has any part of me in it somewhere, eventually, I'll see her. Yeah, the um, 
the, the miniseries, the, the scene, you, the, the last scene that you talked about um, when they took you on the ship to meet your daughter, um, in, the, in the series itself, they showed rows and rows of, of, of uh, children in incubate, incubators. Um, so to me, that suggests uh, there's obviously some sort of an alien agenda. What it is, I don't know whether it's, um, it's going to harm us in the future or it's going to benefit us. I mean, have you got any idea what, what, what their agenda would have been? Um, you know, I felt, and this is just my theory, I, I have no idea. To, if I said, you know, that I know wh who they are, what they are, why they're here, what they want, I, you know, I don't know for sure. This is just my gut feeling, my opinion. Um, I felt a connection to this one particular grade. He was a little different than the rest of them. Uh, and he felt different to me. Mm -hmm. you know, spirit wise or whatever. And I almost felt uh, related, familial in a, mm -hmm. you know, as a, a family kind of way. Yeah. Uh, and, it, you know, the, the way he kept trying to say, this is a good thing. This is good for everybody. You know, why are you angry? Why are you upset? You should be happy. This is a good thing. You know, I, I just felt that, um, that, you know, I've had the thought in my head many times, okay, we're all hybrids. Mm -hmm. You you and I and everybody, we're all hybrids on this planet. I feel that there was intervention early on that mm -hmm. changed the course of the way we evolved. And um, I, I just feel like that. And um, there's even been times when I've thought that maybe something some of what i've had contact with might even be from the future time somebody's from the future right so i mean but i don't know and i'm not a scientist and i don't know about stuff like that but i i just know that's my that's my gut feeling but yeah have you have you met and spoken with other experiences that have gone through the same thing oh yes At, in 30 almost 39 years since that happened and that early on, I went out with a bit, went around with Bud a lot to, to, he did all the talking, but, you know, I, I would be there for him support. And eventually I would get enough nerve to stand up in front of a crowd and speak, even though I thought I was going to have a heart attack, but I got to meet uh, hundreds. Of I people. think he mentioned something like 2000 in the, um, in the um, uh, section, I think it was in the book. So that's a that's amazing because that your mind starts to run at 100 miles an hour so what are we talking here i mean how many people around the world have had similar experiences to yours are we talking millions i would think so look i've had the same website for mm, 20 years now maybe mm -hmm. uh which i put i i put that up originally be, th this was before facebook and all that yeah. so there there would be a way for me to be able to to have contact with other people like me and i'm coming up on three million views mm -hmm. here real soon so uh, that and that's just my little teeny weeny slice of the world here yeah. you know yeah 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 it's quite amazing where, where do you think you'd be today without uh, without bud hopkins i have no idea everything about my life would be now would be absolutely unrecognizable had I not met him, had I not had that experience. People ask me often, you know, as traumatic as that was and, and scary and everything, would you, if you could, 
go through life and not have had that, would you change things? And I say, no, then that's because if without that experience, I wouldn't be who I am today or where I am today. I would not have the life I had. And the biggest part of that is Bud. Mm-hmm. Bud changed the entire course of my life. And in, in some ways, I feel like he almost saved my life because I don't know how I would have been able to function had I not had the assistance from him and all of the professionals around me that he enlisted to, to help me, you know. Yeah. I, I'm fortunate because I got him early mm-hmm. in his career. You know, yeah. one, once yeah. intruders took off, he was in such high demand that I didn't even get to talk to him on the phone, but maybe once a year, you know, and if I kind of didn't want to let him go because he felt like a father figure to me, mm -hmm. but I knew that other people needed him. So, yeah. Yeah. I think it's fair to say changed the whole course of how we, um, we, we we look at alien abduction now. And um, he started off uh, the good work and and others are now continuing on with it. Mm -hmm. Um. Do you think you were you were earmarked specifically, and if so, why? And 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 does your family have a history of of alien abduction? Well, that's a question that I've asked myself a million times. You know, why am why am I here? Why did this happen to me? What you know, did I do something, or was I born a certain way? You know, things about me changed after June thirty eighty three. Uh, was uh, did I have this contact because I was able to do this before, or did I was I able to do this because of the contact I had? That was a, a residual effect of it, you know, the mm-hmm. the other things that I've done. But um, my mother had some strange things happen to her when she was young, which I didn't even know about until Bud came and started to interview the family. Mom had never said anything about it. My mother was adopted when she was two. She was taken from an orphanage in Louisville by a a master sergeant in the army, and she was taken to China, and she lived there for two years. And then they they brought her back to the United States, to Rhode Island, and then back to Kentucky, where she met my dad. But uh, so we don't know a lot about her actual birth family, but uh, she had a mark on her leg, the same exact kind I have. Mm -hmm. I I thought mine was a birthmark. Uh, that scoop mark on the, th- on the yep. shin. Um, and she, her recollection of getting that scoop mark was being chased through the woods by a little boy who wanted him to play with her and falling and having this stick poker in the leg. Oh. But yet she, you know, it's somehow connected to this little boy who wanted her to play with him and was chasing her. And for some reason she felt compelled that when Bud asked her about weird things to tell him about that. So yep. that speaks volume two yeah and then you know when i was six i had that weird experience with the little boy who wanted me to play with him Mm -hmm. so i kind of got a wonder and then it was my older sister had some weird stuff so i kind of got a a, one of my sons and maybe who knows even my granddaughter so uh i gotta wonder if it's a a family thing that somebody is just kind of following up on you know following on right right what about, I mean, we're talking about the 80s and um, we're talking about when skeptics were probably at their most active. Did you have to push back much against the skeptics then? No, you know what? Actually, I was surprised. I, I had expected it a lot. Philip Class was the only real, real skeptic that ever came at me nasty. And, but the thing was, he never 
talk to me or my mom. He wrote some books and in some of the books that he wrote, he didn't write very nice things about mom and I, but they weren't true things. And he had never even bothered to interview us. So I, I saw him one time at a conference in Pensacola and I chased him around for two days, trying to get him to talk to me. And when I finally got him cornered, somebody took a picture, which I have, right. but I just, and I just said to him, you know, Mr. Class, I don't understand. You wrote all these nasty things about mom and me and they're not true. You've never met us. And, but all you had to do was ask me and I would have been more than happy mm -hmm. to sit down and talk to you and answer any question that you might have. And I said, and I just don't think it's fair that you've written these things about mom and I, and they're not true. You don't even know us. And he was like, oh, la, 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 you know, stammered and stuttered and made some offhand, like, oh, your mom raised you well, I guess, because I didn't cuss him out or be ugly. But yeah. uh, the next morning I woke up and there was the big stack of books by my hotel, hotel room door. And they were every book that Philip class had ever written. And every one of them was inscribed to me and they were nice inscriptions. Mm -hmm. And he never, ever talked about me in public again. Right. But I, you know, I, I have no problem with skeptics. I yeah. would be glad to answer any questions they have. And, and if you can figure out something I haven't figured out in 40 years, great. Cause I, I have tried. You know, I sometimes feel like I'm my biggest skeptic and I doubt most myself, you know, mm -hmm. other than the, the hard facts that are indisputable. I still wonder if I've lost my mind sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I th yeah. think that's normal, but uh, skepticism is healthy. Debunking, that's a whole that's, different. That's a whole different, yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of people believe that uh, Philip Class was, was basically a plant by the... Um, the disinformation cartel behind the scenes. I've, just, I've heard that. I don't know yeah, if that's true or not, but, but I heard it. But his, um, you know, his uh, stouches with Stanton Friedman, of course, the legendary for the late <laughs> Stanton Friedman. Um, so a few more questions before we close it off. But I just want to ask, what does it mean to be a lifelong experiencer? Well, um, for me, it means... Um, I, I'm more open-minded than most people I know, and I'm willing to listen. And um, uh, I, I realize that there's a whole lot of life all around me. It's like, I'm, I feel more awake. I realize that there's a lot going on around me that I don't see. And I've, I've learned how to um, depend on other senses than just the eyes, ears, you know, nose. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've learned how strong of a person I am. I've had some personal tragedies in my life that were uh, really bad. And uh, I know some people that have been through some stuff like that and they never came back through it. And I, not only did I come back through it, I came back stronger. So um, I, it, it means for me that I've, been i've developed into a very you know strong person and yeah and i think that's a good thing yeah are you on a crusade to uh, bring more experiences out of the closet so to speak yes i am i want people i'm fortunate in a way i had the support of my mom my dad my family co-workers friends neighbors i have had had you know philip class tried and i i went right back at him i'm like talk to me what do you want to know i'll tell you so um, I've been very blessed in my life that I've had so much support and I feel like um, it's my duty 
and my destiny to pay it forward. And I want people to feel comfortable talking about their experiences. Look how weird mine are. And I'm talking about them, you know, mm-hmm. the, I feel like for every person like me or Whitley Strieber or um, Calvin Parker or anybody who speaks out about their strange experience, there's probably 50,000 other people out there. I would venture to say that almost every living human being on earth has had something weird happen to them at yeah. some point in their life or another, yeah. but they just ain't talking about it. But uh, I, I feel like if they start, if people will start talking about it, feel more comfortable with it, uh, the whole view of how they see the world and life and each other will change and be better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I asked this question to uh, a lot of experiences that I interview um, going all the way back to being a child. Um, you know, and you probably remember there, there were kids at school that seemed to kind of just stay on the outer uh, and back then we just thought they were weird or they were having issues at home. But how many of those kids would have actually been experiences that just didn't have anyone to talk to? I, I was one of those kids. Mm-hmm. So and I was always a, a, a kind of a loner person. I mean, yeah. I, I was different because I, I had friends that were cheerleaders. You know, I didn't hang around them all the time, but we talked and were friendly. But then I also had all the hippies and mm-hmm. the you know, (laughs) I shared a cigarette in a bathroom with, you know what I mean? So I kind of was like a, a weird in the middle kind of kid, but still on the outer edges watching. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Do do you think we're getting to a stage of, of, of normalizing paranormal events? uh, We're a lot closer now than we were 38, 39 years ago, but we still have a long way to go. Yeah. Yeah. And have these experiences uh, given you uh, maybe a little bit of a different outlook spiritually? Oh, Yes, tremendous, tremendously different outlook spiritually. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, I, I'm very spiritual, so to speak, and feel a connectedness with everything that's alive mm-hmm. and see things differently than maybe somebody else my age who didn't have these experiences, you know? Yeah, yeah. The book is Extraordinary Contact. How, how long has that book been out? It just was published in August of 2021, 2021. by August night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, some of the chapters are intriguing. Um, I've, I've gone through the book. Um, government involvement, that just caught my attention straight away. That's one of the chapters. Yeah. There's a little touch of some strangeness there that we're not sure about, but that's what I think it was. Uh, yeah. yeah. Another one was a chapter titled New Abilities. Mm-hmm. What, 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 um, I mean, just for the audience sake, can you give them a brief example of what they can expect to read? Well, um, when I was a kid, I uh, was helping clean my mom's uh, brass handles on her. We had taken them off of her cabinets and I was rubbing them to clean them and they started to bend and twist. Mm -hmm. And my sister yelled at me and I didn't even know I was doing it. I wasn't paying any attention. And then I had my IQ tests from high school transcripts that I had to get, which was what score was 110, which is respectable. But then my late husband convinced me that I should try for Menza. This was when I was in my um, early 30s, late 20s. And one, I I had my test scores in there. There's two different tests. And I think one was 135 and one was 141. And this change, you know, happened after june 30 1983 and i'm when i had this kind of mind yep. expanding thing yep 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 and the, and the other chapter that i found intriguing was uh simply the future 
Yeah. And I say it doesn't, you don't have to be a psychic to see where we're heading on a lot of things, you know, mm -hmm. but uh, the thing was, my thing was, I felt like we as a species are capable of changing our destiny in any direction we want. If we can think collectively the right thoughts, you know, that yeah. we're powerful uh, human beings are, are powerful. Yeah, I keep my mind keeps going back to the um, the um, the hybrid children that are being uh, created. Um, my two reasons would be either they're for the ET's um, own benefit to repopulate a dying their dying planet, or they're here to replace us in the future. Well, I don't know. I, I mean, there's a lot of different theories and any one of them could be right. I don't know for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've interviewed uh, Yvonne Smith and, and Peter Robbins here in the past. Uh, they wrote the forward and afterward uh, for the book. Why did you choose them? Well, because I've known them the longest. Um, mm. I met them shortly after I started to work with Bud and um, I, f I love them. I feel uh, a connection to them and... Um, and they just, they just felt like the right people to pick yeah. for that. Yeah, great choices. I think they're great choices. Thank you. Deb, the uh, book Extraordinary Contact available everywhere? Anywhere, the online publishers, Amazon, Books A Million, uh, Barnes & Nobles, Kindle, and hopefully one day soon, it'll be an audio book as well. We'll see. And uh, I know we've, we've had a mini series done, but maybe a, a, a movie more accurately based on on your experience that would be great i would love that for my granddaughter yeah so that she could see and and who all in my family comes after me when i'm long gone great deb been a pleasure speaking with you thank you for joining us thank you for asking i appreciate it not a problem deb carvel joining us today